Hey folks, this is Anatoly, and you're listening to the Solana Podcast. And today I have Dan Gonsberg with me, who is the CEO, co-founder of the Hero Network. Um, awesome to have you. Thanks, Tully. It's great to be here. Happy to be here with you today. Awesome. Um, would you want to kind of talk about how you got into crypto and what Hero Network is all about? Yeah, sure. So uh, my background has largely been in uh, derivatives trading. I, uh, you know, I started my career on the floor of the Chicago Board of Trade during my summers home from school uh, when I was 18. And right out of college, I started trading a U.S. Treasury bonds for at first. And then a couple years later, I got into kind of like the, I guess the third or fourth inning of the uh, internet boom when tech stocks were really starting to roll. And so I started trading tech stocks. It actually got me off the trading floor and did that for a number of years, eventually worked my way back to futures. I started actually trading the short end of the yield curve. And then um, all the way up to like 2011, I joined a proprietary trading firm that two of my friends had co-founded and eventually ended up becoming the chief operating officer there. And while I was there, uh, 2015, you know, Bitcoin had a lot of uh, what seemed to be upside op- optionality. It kind of had gone, you know, it was coming out the uh, back end of a of the bear market, I think started in like early 2014. And I thought there was good optionality in it. And so it started buying some Bitcoin and kind of sent me down the rabbit hole. And uh, by 2017, I was all in on crypto and and uh, ended up parting ways with the firm. And in 2018, uh, a my now partner, a guy who uh, he was running an agricultural options market making desk at our firm, he left a few months later and then joined me. We started trading together, trading crypto together. And while we were trading, we ended up conceptualizing Hero. And really the idea was to just find a more simplified kind of a little bit more fun way of interacting with the market and trading. And it, a lot of it came from kind of seeing a lot of retail traders make their way, find everyone was kind of finding their way to BitMEX and without too much experience, kind of over levering and kind of rinsing the uh, <laughs> the remaining uh, crypto that they had left. And it was kind of hard to see after a while. And so we said, hey, can we find a way that like we can really kind of balance the, kind of the emotional or the financial side and the financial reward that comes with trading, you know, kind of and introduce some of the emotional side of like social and gaming and things like that. And um, and came up with this with this idea to build this more simplified way of trading the market, which was really a combination of like a cash or nothing digital option with a paramutualized payoff to it. And that ended up becoming what is known on Hero.io as Moonwrecked. And we built that uh, in the last half of 2018, launched it in 2019 and had been building the platform ever since. Uh, So we now have Hero.io have three specific products. Uh, One is that Moonwrecked, which is the paramutual, and then two products that are other light exotic options. One is a one touch and one is a little bit more analogous to like a, a vanilla option, but to, but has some different tenants to it. You know, out of that, we always knew that we kind of wanted to take the steps towards eventually progressively decentralizing the platform. And, you know, this past year kind of, it, it was kind of a combination, I think of, you know, what our kind of view of the universe was or as a whole and kind of what was happening socially in the world. And it just seems like the the time to to make the transition was now. And what we had decided to do is that uh, it kind of came out of that. And it also came out of like, the fact that 
we were on a B2B basis, we were starting to get a lot of interest uh, for like white labeling of our existing products. And we knew there was some difficulties with that potentially around regulation and whatnot. And so it, it just made sense for us to say like, well, what if we you know started to disintermediate this and build a network out of it and at the center of the network kind of lay the groundwork for and plumbing for what are these various types of derivative protocols that operators can come build on or attach as nodes to individual users can come, you know, on a web three basis and access it very easily in a non-custody way. And kind of that with you know, what was going on in the world at the time and, and also, you know, kind of where we think the world is going, which we do think that the, you know, this whole concept of, of networks and scaling networks, something like an exchange, I feel like um, exchanges they're almost like in the future and you kind of like kind of look out like the world will look like in 10 years or so let's say and you really have these networks as like pillars for different purposes and exchanges in my mind almost feel like public utilities in a way and really building the plumbing and tooling that will allow any operator or any user to come and build on top of it using these like kind of unique light exotic protocols that we're creating which ideally should give people a more simplistic way to interface with various types of derivatives and give them some level of optionality, no pun intended, to access the market kind of in new and creative ways. Do you think the the tech that we see for exchanges, even centralized ones like Binance, FTX, is it ahead of the what you would find at like New York Stock Exchange and NYSE, or I mean like CME, or are we still kind of behind? Like is this... I, I think in the like, I think from a technology perspective, it's it's not too much different from what we you know what what I experienced in legacy markets, other than the fact that maybe in at least in crypto that some of the exchanges are, aren't quite as advanced on the connectivity side. Like I think they're you know obviously doing things in the legacy world in much more higher frequency and connecting via like fixed protocols or things like that that you don't really get on a lot of the exchanges that exist in crypto today. But some of the things that I think are you know that you don't get are really kind of on the financial side. Like, like in my mind, like, like being able to go to FTX and, and actually like lend your assets to me is, is pretty amazing. And you, you kind of have this way of always keeping your capital working and, and, you know, kind of without this concept, without this middleman of like an FCM, which is something that is, you know, that exists like in, uh, in the derivatives world and legacy world, without like that, that middleman is usually the one that's kind of, keeping that spread or, or they're, like they're taking your capital and aggregating it up and then like relending it or earning interest on it while you're you know while you're utilizing their pipes to trade through an exchange like without that middleman there it that creates a lot more opportunity for for market participants and that's one of you know one thing like with FTX for example that I love about it is that that a lot of that opportunity is being given back to the end user, which is something that really doesn't exist. Like you're generally not capturing any float on your capital when you're depositing like cash, for example, to an FCM. And you know the fact that you can go to to FTX and lend your money on an hourly basis at pretty competitive rates is really compelling. So I think that's kind of something that really, in my mind, is is pretty awesome. Is that? like lack of competitiveness like why why <laughs> like like why does it exist why doesn't it exist in, in like on e-trade like why why can't they lend oh because i think because that's how e-trade like 
makes most of its money. Either you know, I, I actually don't have the the real answer to that. But what I do know is that like with at least when interest rates are above zero, that one of the ways like a futures clearing merchant, for example, makes most of their money is by taking your money and then reinvesting it. You know, much like a bank would. Yeah. And so they're capturing that float. And you have to think like, let's say you have $20 billion sitting on your books at an FCM. And then like, if, you know, government paper is paying 3% and you can take the majority of that, like all the unencumbered cash that's sitting on your books and earn 3% on say, you know, even if it's on 10 billion, it's, it's quite a bit of, of free cash that's coming back to, you know, to you as a company. And I think, you know, you're going to have to chop some hands off to, you know, get them to let that go. <laughs> so I think that's why you don't get it on those markets. And if you do, it's always like, hey, we'll pay you a, uh, you know, a 0.3% annualized percentage rate on your money, but they're obviously making a, a much wider spread of that. And I'm not saying that they're not doing that in legacy exchange markets in crypto, or they're not going to be doing that in DeFi now. Like, obviously, that is, you know, one of the drivers of, uh, what's going on in in the whole DeFi space, but at least here the the yields are much more competitive now, or you know, much more uh, lucrative for for the end users. So. Yeah, it's uh, rent seekers, man. It's like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally. The, totally. <laughs> I love the like you know calling it chopping hands instead of disintermediation <laughs> right <laughs> well i think it, disintermediation is our way of uh, of approaching it which is the smart way as opposed to the old chicago way of uh your signature or your head or your blood yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy like in my mind i think those entities that have so much to lose from adoption of crypto effectively have lost already yeah because like this is just software, right? Like it is, like it's unstoppable because <laughs> it, it is just code. It's the coolest part about it, and one of many reasons. But once it starts to really capture, kind of the feel like we're on the right side of the hockey stick at this point. And so, you know, as things scale, it just gets harder and harder. And and look, you're seeing it every day. You're seeing more and more of this crossover from legacy markets. And you know, I, I get on the phone with a lot of like, whether they're like CEOs of prop firms or you know, some of the executives from the FCMs and some of them got on it pretty early. And, you know, fortunately, like when I was at, at uh, DV trading, like we, we captured, there was a guy there that, that had gotten into it pretty early. And fortunately for all of us had, you know, brought it to everybody's attention. And, you know, I've always been super grateful for that because I probably would not have really gotten into crypto and probably until 2017 at the time, but it got me in early and it, it just got turned off by so many, for so long. And I just feel like there's going to be so many people that are going to be rushing in to try to come in late. And a lot of those like legacy games that kind of strong armed, you know, kind of the the smaller or the up and comer, the disruptor out of markets, like I feel like just cryptos at a whole as a whole, like regardless of the the ecosystem that you're part of, is just like collectively grown much larger and kind of uh capture resistant at this point that uh it's going to be very difficult for these guys to do anything but kind of fall into line. Yep. Which is, I think, exciting for all the disruptors. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's, you know, and it's one of the things that, you know, from our, like we started very centralized and we kind of are like in this thing where we're working backwards and, you know, and, and progressively decentralizing hero. 
and that's definitely been uh, tricky as there's not like there's not too much by way of like playbook on how to do it correctly and definitely have surrounded ourselves with good counsel and the accounting firms and whatnot to make sure that you know that we're doing this in a sequenced way that allows the the network and allows hero and the participants in the network to ideally you know eventually take this on and you know we want this network to and I say it to you know our team is like look okay, we're just laying the groundwork here and you know we've already started to bring in a couple of groups that have experience you know whether it's engineering teams guys that you know have worked on Solana core which has been you know which is really exciting to be working with those guys and bringing these guys in and so I say like I say to my team all the time like we want this to grow out to outgrow us as fast as possible and like one of our measures of success is us becoming somewhat irrelevant to the network and we're really kind of committed to that path at this point and I do think it's you know it's the future kind of of how things are going to to operate in the world going forward so yeah uh, like building networks I think is a it's like I think the one of the coolest parts of this is is that's so different from traditional finance um, I think in my mind or even like traditional startups like we're not building a SaaS. There isn't like, <laughs> we're not trying to, to twist somebody's arm into a subscription, right? You're actually trying to get them into the ecosystem and like give them stuff away for free if, as much as we can. Totally. I mean, I'm sure you've experienced this as much as anybody. You talk to people that are just kind of getting their head around it, especially if they come from like a, you know, a, a deep finance background and like over the last 20 years they will look at you like you are absolutely crazy. And you're like, wait, what? I'm, you're driving all the value of your network back to your community and your token? Like, not you're not keeping it as revenue to your company? And I was like, well, no, that's not how this works. And But ultimately, when you step back and think about it, like, it puts you in a position to, to grow so much larger and so much more, you know, in such a different way that, that truly does capture the effects of like kind of what this partially of what all this was set out to be in the first place and like really capturing those those network effects and and scaling it's it's really exciting to see like our community you know has been so supportive of it and we're just really excited to to be going down this path now so you know i think that um like 90 stack firms actually get this sure they they like they gave everything out for free to grow as fast as they could and there was like the shift where like those business models, like the ad-based ones were basically dried up and like everything went back to a subscription. You got to pay for it every month or something like that. <laughs> You're trying to like, like we, we went from a world where everything on the internet was free to where everybody's trying to kind of like extract their rent from you on the internet. Totally. It kind of went from like, I, I was reading something, I forget who wrote it. It was, it was a book around the community capitalism. Somebody was making a comment on it and it was really, it was really simple. And they just like, what do they say? They said from like 2000 to 2010 was like shareholder capitalism. Yep. And then 2010 to 2020 was consumers. And then 2020 forward is really community capitalism, which like community capitalism in like a geographic sense is somewhat analogous, but like just in a network sense, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of what's going to be happening here. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good way to put it. I've never I've never heard that term before, but that that's kind of interesting. I thought that like the coolest thing at a DeFi summer was this like rapid formation of communities. 
you know, around capital, right? Like capital was a part of it. Um, but also the only thing that really identified them was this token, right? Didn't <laughs> like as, as silly as like Yams was, there were, you know, 10,000 people that all came together in, in, around one thing. It's so cool. And it, and it had those effects of like being a part of community and something larger than you, which is like, it's almost these like Maslowian things like religion in a way. And, uh, and it, I want to be careful saying that because I think it, when the wrong people hear that, they go, Oh, of course, <laughs> yeah. crypto's a cult, right? <laughs> but we know that's not the case. Like, you, you know, we're all putting effort into a community. And I, I've like related it just like, you know, like I'm Jewish and like, you know, obviously had ties into, into Israel. And there's these very like socialist style communities that are called kibbutzim. And like, it's, it's effectively like these communities that live off of their land and it's all self-governed and it has whole, uh, whole hierarchy systems and it's like their own cities almost. And, and for the most part, self-sustaining. Right. And like, it's so relatable. It's like so much of what we're doing are things. I mean, you always say this about, everyone says about finance. This is totally true. Like we're not necessarily reinventing the wheel on things like yield capture or, the different ways to like actually trade, but we're just like kind of reinventing the how and like the infrastructure behind it. But it's kind of, to me, is like the same thing around like community capitalism and this concept of building a network where every network participant is putting forth some type of effort effectively to help the others in some way, shape or form and being rewarded for it is like a big kibbutz. <laughs> so, I love uh, it kind of has those same tenets to it. And, and so I, I've really like gone down that wormhole and like done a lot of reading around it and, and have had a, um, you know, it's, it's been really fascinating. And especially me coming from, like, I came from a background and, and like, you know, a lot of people that come from the trading world and obviously you're, you're close with Sam, who's probably one of the most well-known traders in our space and just an exceptional trader and businessman and everything but you know you come from this world especially like in prop trading where it is very like the bottom line what determines your fate is your PL. yep and that's really it you know and so it's really just about it sounds horrible but it's like just about making money and really being able to transfer that in a way that you know you can set up your ecosystem where so many people can benefit you don't need to know who these people are for the most part the fact that you know, you can totally disintermediate it and, you know, your effort in the ecosystem, you know, ties directly to your reward and setting up kind of fair schemes for that. And man, I'm, there's just a lot to chew on and there's a lot to, uh, a lot for us to, to be building. So super excited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Same. I, I love like the kibbutz analogy, like there's like a, a bunch of them, right? So, like switching from the Ethereum kibbutz to the Solana kibbutz is like totally, <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. They all have their own flavor, right? One, uh, one lives off of uh, one lives off of a certain type of potato. The other, like, bases everything they do in like a, a green leafy lettuce. Kind of. <laughs> very, very DeFi summerish. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. That's funny. That's funny. I think we're headed into a really exciting direction and you know you also have this thing with everything that's gone on in the last couple of years even socially it all just like as bad as so many things happened it just was like a a signal to the world that things needed to change and i think you know what we're doing at crypto is 
both socially and and financially and just everything is we're really just kind of reinventing how how things are going to work and i find it hard to you know as you said before it's uh it's kind of past that point of no return how it fully integrates and how it plays out i don't think any of us can you know going to be able to predict it 100 percent right but i think we're all positioning it fairly well is it like development for these products like these financial products is it harder on a for like an open network versus an exchange? Oh yeah, it's definitely different. I think the first thing you have to remind yourself is that like, you can't always just like go back and do a hot fix. <laughs> uh, like kind of once you're on chain and like if things go haywire, that's definitely not good. But really trying to think about it in the context of the, the tenants of the product and kind of how do, you, how do you build it in a way that you know, if you have some limitations, there's some like kind of fence around what you can or can't do with it. it it's kind of in this place right now where, you know, I, I think even even like building on Solana, like there's, you know, at, like almost everything we're doing is around like the token, obviously, and like not the hero token, but just like tokenizing different, you know, aspects of the products that we're building. And that to me, you know, is something like, okay, like I have like half the engineers are just like, building on it moving fast and the other half are like you know how can we make this even more efficient like what can we do this with this to make it even better and i think that's kind of pretty cool and i think one of the things of like building to a to a network like solana too is that the fact that it is kind of open sourced and you know for the most part and the fact that our team comes up with a certain way to look at things it maybe changes the course of how new projects come on solana and build as well and you know i think that's pretty neat and the you know, just in terms of building the products, again, yeah, it going back to like the um, building and legacy, it, I think it's it's probably easier to build certain aspects of it. But, you know, I, I definitely think some of the, like, it's really when you kind of get down to like the granular items and like, can I create something that has, is pretty much apples to apples, like to what I would deliver centrally. And, you know, part of that is probably what exists in the ecosystem today, what can we compose with to that are tools to help us make, you know, our product more commercially viable or like the, the products that are being built on our network more commercially viable. And like, you kind of have some of those, those elements that, you know, pending on the ecosystem you're in really work, but yeah, I, I don't know if I gave a good answer there, but <laughs> definitely, uh, definitely has, you know, upsides and, um, and challenges. So. Uh, yeah. The, the hot fix thing is like, a hard problem and it, like you know we have support where you can actually like at the loader level make the program up- upgradable and go change the bytecode but yeah the ch- challenge there is that like how do you tie that into governance right if you if it's like and, and that opens up this whole like kibbutz building question <laughs> like, right. what, is, what is what is what flavor of kibbutz are you building do, do you want everybody to have like an equal share do they want you do you want to elect a set of devs that have like the right to hot patch stuff like it, it's it's these are like fun human problems which <laughs> I, I think you hit the nail on the head and, and like you know and we're still relatively new to it so and you obviously are have been deep in the weeds on it but i think that that idea for me of like stopping for a second and going wait i can't just make this decision and do this like at some point that has you know obviously that has to transition to like you know, do we need to allocate to a, to a certain set of devs and, and have that voted on to make this hot patch? Or, 
you know, everything across the entire spectrum of the ecosystem and just like remembering that that is one thing that they definitely take some getting used to that I would say is pro- arguably probably more simplistic in the centralized world, but ultimately ends up being worth it, I think, because you do want to get to a point of sufficient decentralization. So, Did you closely follow the sushi saga? I thought it was amazing that how quickly that kibbutz formed, that there was this like new token, new meme, a bunch of people loved it yep. and um, everything fell apart. It <laughs> 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 just, just like blew up, right? Like, uh, but enough people were like it, within the overall crypto community, right? Like we, we weren't even part of Ethereum, yeah. but we were like watching it closely because we were like tangentially attached to that sure. and we're like, nobody wanted it to fail. And there was like enough of a kind of like kibbutzes around it that, like, that, that, <laughs> rally, that rally together it was like the clans that yeah. said like hey th- we're not going to let this thing go to shit and so that to me is was pretty incredible and it's funny how like social media plays into it so much also and like, it's just kind of like our most common form of communication uh, in crypto and and how that like kind of the virality of that story and kind of just how it spread and then what came out of it and watching it all kind of unfold uh, in real time was pretty was pretty amazing, but yeah, that that's so funny. You're making the kibbutz uh, reference to sushi swap. I like it. <laughs> I I don't think it would be possible to like the the difficulty with building a community. I think intentionally is that like it's hard to like get that ball rolling. Like with sushi, it like kind of rolled itself. Um, yeah, and that that's that's like a you know, you can't replicate it, right? Like the, the real like work is, is like takes years to like get all the folks together, get them connected, start like figuring out where like this community value, like capture happens. Totally. What, what would you feel if, like with Solana? Like what, what was kind of the inflection point? We had a set of validators that um, just kind of love the idea that hardware could make the thing go faster. Yeah. You know, like, there's just like a group of people that are like PC builders that are like nerds about optimizations, about network problems that have like, basically they've done DevOps all their life, right? They've understand hardware and they like work with it. And our idea was that like, hey, we can take the skills that you have, right? Like the thing that you know and make this like really fast thing that could disrupt all of the world's finance. Yeah. And that was enough to br- bring them together, right? Like we needed them, right? That was like the key part. <laughs> were they were they guys you knew? Were they teams that you knew? Or were they just random that came forward? Like around that time, Cosmos kind of like, they were about a year ahead of us, but they kind of put together this like validator community. And a subset of those folks were like our people. And it's not like they left Cosmos. They're still running Cosmos zones. A bunch mm-hmm. of them run, you know, Cosmos and a bunch of other Cosmos networks. But like we like needed them and they're like, oh, this is cool. Like they were needed, right? There's like a, a huge powerful fact, effect of like, if somebody like is trying to build something and they need your help, like legitimately, it, it's like a very, um, it's a thing that brings people together. I love it. That's a, that's so true. It, you know, actually when we first launched Hero and, you know, we kind of just like stealth launched it and gave out some token, like the token had no value at the time. We just gave out some tokens to people and said, Hey, try this out like to 30, 40 people. And then it like, it took off and 
I remember having people, so many people who had no idea who they were hitting me up saying like, how can I help? How can I help? Like the, whether it was developers, a lot of community people in the community. And it's like, just to see people kind of attach onto the, it goes back to this like thing to me that there's something so powerful, you know, whether it's being an engineer or being part of a community or whatever, it, like there's something so powerful in just being a part of something that's larger than you are that, that has meaning and has purpose and really just like committing to it. It's really, I think just from the human element, it's very empowering. And I think it's amazing to see it's something in crypto that's like, to me, it's like definitely one of the more positive aspects of the industry. Yeah. I, I think it's what makes it um, so sticky is that people are working on it. Not like, you know, the, the money helps, right? The money is what allows you to go sure. full time. But if it like disappeared, you would still kind of do it as a hobby, right? And that gives it like this really like long-term survi- survivability, like, you know, free BSD, there's still people building. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, but, <laughs> um, it's funny on the, you know, on the money aspect and like, it's, there's obviously so many people that are here just for the financial incentives that exist. And, and obviously the trading aspect is there and whatnot. But I always try to think about like, you have to kind of take a step back and realize like, how progressive and how early of a world that we operate in. And you're almost like, if you're here as a speculator, you're almost like saying, okay, I'm willing to be the the test bunny. And like, even more so with my capital. And it's funny to see, like, I think you kind of can see a lot of people that get into the space because they hear about it and they hear about, you know, Bitcoin going from 3,000 to 60,000 or whatever. And they don't realize that they're actually like a, a part of a massive experiment that iterates like basically as fast as lightning. And like, there's nothing that it, it's the most like uninhibited form of like experimentation and finance and just in like engineering and just like everything all at once. And it's funny when you see people like when they're like, well, I came here with a hundred, you know, with a $10,000 and I, I made a million and then it went to zero all in eight weeks, <laughs> you know, and like the fact that that happens, but I kind of look at that as like the, the, in kind of that Gartner cycle, that hype cycle that exists with projects is like, it's the market's way of just saying like, Hey, I'm, I'm willing to fund you for the long haul. And like, the question is, is like, does that team ha- like, are they taking that, that capital from that like kind of initial hype and idea that they're building and can they take that and then kind of you know put a plan in place that gives them like does this ultimately have long-term objectives like one thing that i love that serum did was that seven-year lockup and it sounds so counterintuitive in crypto with the speed that things move but that was a signal for me for example of like wait a minute this you know serum is not here to build something really fast and kind of make it make it cool and exciting, and then everyone will forget about it five minutes later. It's really here to build the plumbing and tooling that will one day, hopefully, the New York Stock Exchange is going to build on top of, or the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, or some form of that, that becomes as large. And like, it's such a strong signal that like, and, and I also think it's kind of a testament to where we're at just in the, in the cycle of crypto as a whole, of like, starting to see more and more projects. And obviously, like, when you're building, like, you know, big layer one blockchains like Solana and stuff. You you want this to survive generations, obviously. And um, um, yeah, I mean, 
<laughs> I think this is going to be like my life's work at this point. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh I, I would guess so at this point. Yeah. <laughs> if somebody doesn't go on the internet and, and look your name up and know that like this is your life's work at this point, then yes, <laughs> probably. But I, I agree. It, it Serum was very impactful for me. It got me thinking a lot about about Hero and just, again, like I was talking about when we were beginning of our discussion of like the timing of things and um, and just like the the time was right to really start moving towards decentralizing this and and kind of getting this to a place that far outgrows us or our efforts and you know and this has turned definitely turned into my life's work at this point so i, I can totally empathize with that um you know i thought this was going to be like a conversation about options and like finance but it's <laughs> awesome that it's about like community building and, and kibbutzes yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's funny that's funny. yeah um look the the option stuff is it's great. There's, I do have a, a much larger looking, uh, you know, kind of, it, maybe it's more philosophical view of, kind of where the world will be, and you know, a lot of that is, you know, like what is my part in that? Like, what kind of path do I want to set forth for the, for the hero community? At least, like, kind of put the kernels in place, and then let the community kind of drive it from there. And, and that to me really is. Uh, you know, kind of that philosophy going with like, okay, my place in this really is, you know, building these, you know, these very simple uh, protocols and make those raw protocols very easy to build too. So, you know, large operators can can then come in and easily attach to them. And those large operators already have massive user pools and presenting, you know, hopefully we're, we're creating that plumbing and tooling for them that, you know, that they can then take those and build the types of products that they want off of those and um, and then provide it to their user their user base and and create value so those are that that's awesome like I, I I think that like the space is so early that like building out and like testing all these financial money Legos and building the kibbutzes around them is, is like those those, yeah. little, those might survive right like the, <laughs> there's like a chance that this might be still the same thing happening 100 years from now i i feel like you're spot on and like we're building the pipes for like for the kibbutz to have water you know um and then you know they the kibbutz will iterate towards uh complex drip irrigation which is you know a feat of uh it's a miracle that you can grow plants in the middle of the desert now because of it but when they were figuring out how to get water in, like it was just about figuring out getting water in and not necessarily, uh, you know, the advancements that a, uh, you know, a bunch of engineers from Technion were going to figure out. So, so yeah, I, I feel like that coupled with the restating of, of infrastructure and, you know, in finance and with that comes things like trading. And I think there's going to be so much more merging of, you know, which is kind of another one of our early hero theses, of the merging of finance with kind of gaming and what can be traded, what can reasonably be traded, what can be hedged. Like there's all this stuff that's, you know, kind of this big ball of wax that's kind of moving around um, across these different market segments that I think we were kind of trying to, you know, capture a bunch of those, but the reality, and I think for the real value, like what has to be there are those foundational elements first and, and really building that plumbing. And that's really what Hero dedic- you know, Hero Network is dedicated to. So Awesome. Um, uh, on that note, like, is there anything that you'd want to like tell our users where to find more about Hero and like what to look forward to? 
Yeah. So, you know, depending on when this podcast goes out, we're going to be rolling out our our light paper. We, we've been keeping things relatively stealth and there's definitely value in like hyping things, but we kind of think what we have is something pretty special as I think most founders do. But, and we're really thinking about this for, you know, to be here for the long term and just building a lot of hype up front doesn't, didn't really seem optimal for us. So we just have been, you know, kind of building the initial kernels of, you know, what will end up being the foundations of the hero network. And we're going to start rolling out sometime in the beginning to middle of April. And we'll be sharing our light paper. You know, we're, we're definitely iterating on uh, things like, uh, you know, AMMs and, and how we look at those and trying to add some level of sophistication. Like we're creating something called, a, uh, we call SAM um, as a kind of uh, semi-ode to Samfried, but it's a, you know, smart automated market maker. And the concepts behind that is really moving past this kind of form of like somewhat naive market making where ultimately like, you know, somebody that's putting capital into a liquidity pool, most of them aren't really going to have an idea of how to optimize that. They're just doing it for whatever purposes that, you know, whatever their incentives are, but actually attaching an Oracle, which is really like a probability Oracle. And we're doing this in our parimutuel markets first, because those are, you know, kind of much more simplistic in how choices are made in terms of position, because it's not related to price sensitivity or you, you don't have different types of complex orders going in. It literally is like, will this market be higher or lower after, you know, over this time period? And then the payout of each side is parimutuelized. So it's depending on like what each side's weight is in the total pool will determine how that side is paid out. And the ideas around the underlying option and then the parimutuel payout, there are sets of teams that um, are already actively trading on this product that you know are committed to being the initial teams behind it um, and what they'll do is submit as a contract before a contract goes live like as it's getting closer to the the launch of the of that contract opening what is the optimal position for that liquidity pool to take such that over n number of contracts that it ends up like zero to slightly positive ev and then they're incentivized by sharing part of the transaction fee that comes out of it. And so those are the probability nodes. And then they submit those to a probability Oracle. And then that Oracle is basically interacting with the order management system that is managing the liquidity pool. And then from there, it basically will take its position in the pool and more intelligently provide liquidity. Is it the same pool as like the serum spot market or is this like a different pool? different pool. These will be their own liquidity pools initially. Got it. And uh, and they're going to be specific to the parimutuel markets, which are which is the first protocol that, that we're launching. And then we're just going to test the effectiveness of all that. And then we've already started kind of iterating towards doing this with the next protocols that are going to be launched, which are variations on like vanilla options and on different light exotics. That's awesome. Yeah, we're excited. Very excited about it. Cool. Well, yeah, thank you for being on the show. This was an awesome conversation. Yeah, and, totally. And like, you, you guys are rocking it. Love, love all the progress. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. And yeah, we're obviously super excited to be a part of the Solana community. It's been uh, such a good vibe with the entire community. It's like uh, it's very uh, great support and, and uh, excited to really be a part of it and help it grow. Awesome. Thank you so much. 